Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the people who are present here today. And God, we lean into your hands that form us. God, any anxiety, any um, uncertainty, any brokenness, any shame, any condemnation, God, we thank you that in this place there would be an awareness of your proximity to us. You are not a distant, absent God, but you are a God who came to man in order so man could come to you. And Father, we thank you that we live in that reality today that you drew near to us and now invite us to draw near to you through your spirit. So today we lean into you. And I pray, amen. That was very hushed, amen. Uh, anyway, excited that y'all are here. We've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're not as familiar with kind of where what we've been doing the last two weeks specifically, we spent, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 over the course of the next, I don't know, I think it's like eight or nine weeks total, and we've already done a few, so who knows, but uh, each week of those three chapters, and so just excited to kind of lean in further. For some of us who haven't listened to the previous, we went through the Beatitudes and really kind of tried to give clarity on what Jesus was saying, because believe it or not, this is actually... um, What Jesus is trying to do is introduce, in these chapters I tell people, is the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus introducing counterculturalism. What do I mean by counterculturalism? Is if I were to come, what would you say? Okay, well, you know, a person who reads their Bible a lot, a person who serves at their church and goes to their church, a person who loves their neighbor. Here we see Jesus, and everybody knows back then what a blessed life. Blessed is the pure in heart. Blessed is the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the persecuted. Jesus reintroducing this idea that blessed is not what we think blessed is. Blessed is these characteristics and conditions of the heart. So what am I getting at? Jesus' whole message, what we see in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, is Jesus really, his first long dissertation in which people are, have been coming to him and are going, hey, how is this guy healing people? What is he actually doing? Because that's really what's going on. The first beginning part of Matthew is people wondering, what, where did you come from? What are you doing? This is like, happens as we start to step in behind the message that's within the man. So, as we're jumping into this, what we see, though, is this. This isn't some, like, mystical teaching of, like, I hope one day you get to a point of doing something incredible with your faith. No, this entire focus is something that is a lot more interesting. It's this idea that we could practice this level of of chapter 5 verse 19 that he who practices these commands which is essentially Jesus saying if you practice the sermon on the mount you'll be great in the kingdom Matthew 7 24 also references that if you practice the sermon on the mount you will be guess what like a house built on the rock What am I getting at? I think for a lot of us, we know the passage of don't build on the sand, build on the rock, but do we know the contextual background of it, which is 
build on the rock, by the Sermon on the Mount that takes this new redirected effort and says, hey, if you even look at somebody in a lustful manner, you've committed adultery. If you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is, and we'll read today, he says, I don't come to abolish, I come to fulfill. But even more than that, what we see is we see Jesus inviting us into a greater standard. But it's easy to go, okay, a greater standard. Oh, geez, what does that mean? More work? What does that mean? More activities, more Christian things for me to do? No, what we are invited into is greater ownership of our faith in Jesus unto greater promise that he has purchased for us. See, that's what you have to understand about the entirety of this gospel is is Jesus is giving this idea that guess what? The old days are over. The new is here. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time actually breaking that down for you to understand. But if somebody was to ask me kind of what Jesus' message is, is he's introducing this thought to people. It is not about trying harder, but it is about training harder. Because the training aspect is what gets the prox, which is a fantastic alliteration. <laughs> Proximity to promise. That was, uh, anyway, I don't even remember what I said, but let's keep going. So I want to introduce today Sermon on the Mount, part three, diluted dimness, good works, and new rules to an old game. Diluted dimness, good works, and new rules to an old game. We're going to be spending our morning slash verse 20. And like I said, today we are focused on diluted dimness, good works, and new rules to an old game. Let's read. It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Now, pause right there. This is literally a great question because for some of us, we've never tasted salt that's not salty. In our culture, in our country today, salt that is not salty does not make any sense. Don't worry, we're going to unpack what Jesus of salt production and salt use. Later on, let's keep reading. It says this, For it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, your light must shine before people in such a way they may see your good works, see your evangelism, see your party affiliation, see your tithing history, and see how many times you've served in the last four weeks, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's also a joke. People are not tracking with the jokes today. I don't like it. Um, Verse 17, do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. In the ESV, actually, this is a crazy uh, insight from Matthew. In the ESV, you actually see that it says, I owe, actually the iota, 
um, was the smallest dash in the Hebrew language, and the dot was the, small, was the smallest usage of the Greek language. And if you left out an iota or you left out the dot, it could change the entire pronunciation and definition of the word. So what is he saying? Not one dot or iota is, will, will be nullified. Even the smallest aspect of the written language, if it's in God's word, will continue to stand. Let's keep reading. Verdance. And teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This line I'm going to spend our final moments this morning on because I think it's important. But see, that may be something that we feel today. Let's take out scribe or Pharisee and say, if your righteousness doesn't surpass your pastors or theologian of choice or author of choice or podcaster of choice or Instagram real person of heaven, don't worry, we're going to spend some time on that. But before we do, I wanted to reframe this idea because some of us right now, we're maybe sitting in this room and we're going, I'm not going to lie, I'm aware that I need light, but at the same time, light, salt, good works, like being righteous in the kingdom. I'm not going to lie, I don't feel any of those. My light is not bright, or I don't have it. My life definitely is not salted with Christ. I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, I don't know the last time I've done a good work, and at the same time, I'm not going to try to beat you in a righteousness race. See, and that's the thing. You're here, and in all honesty, the best place you could be is self-aware. You know what's sad to me? is when people are extremely self-aware and they shame themselves for it. And people who are unaware, who think they're more righteous than they are, carry themselves in a way that if they had the self-awareness, they'd have the growth in the direction of following God. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I ain't gonna lie, I ain't none of this stuff, you're in a great, great spot. If you're here and you're like, I'm all of this stuff, life might get hard at some point. <laughs> so with that, let's talk about a story. I, uh, I grew up going on mission trips. My first mission trip I went on, I was 14. I don't know why my parents thought this was okay either. Uh, I went to Latvia, Sweden, and Russia. And for a month and a half, I just tried to marry a 19-year-old Latvian girl. I'm joking, not really. But anyway, but, uh, and I, I got so dehydrated on that trip because it was the first time I was away from my parents. I drank so much Fanta and Coke that I threw up so violently I burst all the blood vessels in my face. So what am I saying? If you're 14, it, there's a good reason you have your parents around. Uh, but uh, my favorite trip, uh, I went to Mozambique. And Mozambique is one of the poorest uh, African countries. And what we did there was actually different than anywhere. I've been on work trips where you build houses, and I built latrines after the Haitian uh, and Dominican Republic uh, after the earthquake, and you know, went to India after graduation and just have been really blessed. But the thing about this trip that was fascinating was it was the first time I really was like, man, I feel like this is something that could make a huge difference. And we had developed a contact on the ground in Mozambique who actually had a 
ability to what he would do is he would go into native tribes and find some and 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 learn their language and then he would redo their language the book of john on an mp3 and he had found a company that once he translated the language he would translate the book of john put it on an mp3 and pair it with a solar panel and all you had to do was put it in the sun and it would literally out loud read the gospel of John to these people in their language without any electricity, any power or anything like that. It was a really awesome um, uh, tool of the gospel. And so we had brought in hundreds in which we were giving out the gospel of John to people who had no water, no electricity, that they were just living in kind of huts. And it was just it was pretty incredible to see, like, for a lot of us, the things that we take advantage become the thing that is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that this is in the palm of my hand. And so this is where it gets interesting, is I remember we were handing all of these things out in one of these villages we went to, and I've, I've, some people may have heard this story, so you can act like, one of these villages I remember we went to and they asked, can we take you on a celebratory hunt? Now, we'd just driven hours and hours in the bed of a pickup truck kind of through the, 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 the bush landscape to get to this village of maybe 15 huts. We'd handed out the solar panels. We were going to stay one night and then leave the next morning. And they're like, hey, will you go on a hunt with us? And immediately we're all like, oh, that sounds fun. They're like, we go from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And everybody's like, ah, not as fun, not as fun. And they're like, there's no running water. There's no really anything. It's, it's so primitive. There's no waste right? There's, in our day and age, trash and litter is everywhere, but when you live in a civilization and society, in case, that was the most, like, kind of groundbreaking thing there. And I remember I was the youngest in the group, so what does that mean? I get peer pressured into the celebratory hunt as the only guy from our team who's going to go. And what I learned is this, there's going to be eight guys who go, I get paired with a partner, and one person is the spotter and the other one is the shooter. Now, if you don't like hunting animals or anything, these people hunt it for food, it's definitely not sport, I promise. And I remember we're out there, and what, what my job was is this, is I learned that a spotter is somebody who genuinely carries a car battery and a light bulb. And if you hear any rustling, what you would do is you would just shine it toward the bushes. And if there's an animal there, genuinely, it was a lead pipe. They would load it on one end with anything sharp they could find. That would, They'd load it and then put a little gunpowder and just light the gunpowder and just shoot it out. It was the most primitive hunting experience you genuinely could ever imagine. And so I'm walking around with a car pipe and we're just going through and I'm just like, I can't believe this is what I'm doing right now. Now, I tell you that because in American culture, right, it is like peak American anxiety. It's like you're in the middle of nowhere. You have no cell phone reception. You have nobody around you. You don't speak the language, and everything can kill you. Everything can kill you. You know, a giraffe, a lion, a hyena, a hippopotamus, a caterpillar, a leopard. Like, you name it, you're getting killed by it. It's at least, in, you know, once again, you, we go to extremes, but it's America. That's kind of our MO. Oh, dude, I, this is not... I'm doing this, and this will be a cool story one day, but at the same time, like, this, oof. and I'm walking around, and I'll never forget, I'm like, I, I'm holding the light and the car battery, and we're walking through, and this is obviously the middle of Mozambique. We are hours and hours away, not from a city, but from a road, okay? And I'll never forget, my light starts to flicker, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, it's probably just the light bulb or whatever, but the light goes out for a couple of on. 
And at this point, our group of eight had kind of split up to from four to now two, and there's nobody around us. And we had I hadn't seen anybody in almost 30 minutes. So I remember the lights, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's probably just the battery spotty, blah, 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 but hopefully it lasts, because if your light goes out in the middle of here, like, wouldn't be good, wouldn't be good. What happens? My light goes out. And immediately, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, this is not ideal. I'm in the middle of Mozambique, hours away from civilization, no cell phone service. I can't talk to this guy, so what do I naturally do? Just grab his shirt. I'm just, just grab the shirt. And I'm thinking, like, no matter what, you know, we go down together. <laughs> you probably know where you're going or what you're doing, and if, it, if you don't, I'm going out with you. And I'll never forget, this is where it's funny, and I'm not going to yell this, but I am going to say this. Like, I remember I, I look out, and I'm like, I, we're just, it's just eerily silent. There's nothing. It's just black. I'm like, looking at her, and then he'd take 20, 30 seconds. He'd yell again, ah! And I'm just sitting there just like, what is going on? And finally, after like a minute or two, I'm realizing like, oh, he's just hoping people hear his voice and that he gets somebody's attention and that somehow, you know, somebody hears us. So what happens? Micah starts yelling too. So we're rotating between screaming out loud for long intervals in hopes that somebody just hears a yell. I'll never forget this. <sighs> Way off in the distance, over a hill, I see the headlights of a truck. And we had drove in in a truck. The headlights of a truck. And guess what? That shirt I was hanging on to, I wasn't hanging on to it anymore. Because the moment he saw the headlights, took off towards the headlights. And you can't see anything. You don't know what you're stepping on. You don't even know what's in your path. You just know there's the light. I'm going to it because that is the thing that probably will bring about... <laughs> The comfort, the peace. Go literally in all looks and goes, okay, I guess we're sprinting through the wilderness to get to the truck. So there I am running, and I'll never forget, I just got beat up and bloodied and my clothes shredded, and it was just a wild, and we get to the truck, and it's like, but when we got to the truck, it was like, okay, at least we're safe. And obviously, believe it or not, I'm here right now. I made it. <laughs> but I tell you that story because I think for a lot of us, we have an awareness of darkness and we have an awareness of where light is. But we have to make the choice of if we'll run towards the light, even when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, when it's costly, when it's painful. Do we trust that when we get there, it will give the protection, the peace that we're looking for? See, a lot of us, the question today before we even get into talking about salt and light and good works and all this is, is it worth it to even run after it? And I would venture to ask you the question, what do you get if you don't? Because many of us, we know what darkness feels like. I have a better question for you. Do you know what light feels like? Light radiates and people ask you about it. To be so close to God that, they, that you just, they get around you and the salt of your personhood just tastes different to their senses. See, this is what happens when we run towards the light. Is even though it's costly, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and a lot of the times there's some pain involved. There is peace, protection, and contentment that's found when you get close to it. And not only when you get close... As we're starting to break down this passage, as we start to break down this story, the light is worth running after. 
And if that's all you take from today and that's all you take from this passage is that little story of Micah in the middle of nowhere running after a truck, getting beat up by everything, I hope that you leave knowing that the light is worth running after. So with that, let's talk about three takeaways from this particular passage. Three takeaways from this passage on the Beatitudes. The first one is this. Salt can lose saltiness and light can become darkness. Discipline is when you are regulating what the salt of your personhood tastes like those around you. You can't go anywhere if you do not know where you are to start. The key to everything in the beginning is self-awareness. Becoming aware of what you need and developing a plan to develop the weakness of the flesh into the strength of the spirit. You want to know how you get people to notice your light is when they've been so used to your darkness that they can't but comprehend that you're a light now. And for a lot of us, what we don't realize is God actually uses the darkness in the most profound ways because people can't comprehend how we overcame darkness. They're just so used to the acceptance of it. And I challenge you, that is the goal of following Jesus and becoming a new creation, is not hoping that our darkness can get a little bit lighter, but that our darkness becomes light in such a way that people have to know how you overcame a darkness that they don't believe they can overcome. See, this is what's always been attractive about Christianity is a commoner that becomes... Un That's why even Jesus' story, 30 years of nothing and then three years of what and who and where did you come from? I love that example. Why? Because from the womb, we see a man who's pretty normal till he's 30. But then something changes. And I say that, and not something changes as in terms of something changes on the inside, but rather an inside starts to overflow to an outside. What am I getting at today? I believe the ordinariness of Jesus' story is not something you should forget about, even if you feel ordinary. Oh, I want to talk about this historical aspect of salt. Because for a lot of us, we've never tasted salt that's not salty. And a lot of us even today, right? We got that pink Himalayan sprinkle it on salt. The bougie salt. And I say that because that's actually been around for a while, not the pink Himalayan bougie Costco salt. But what I am, but there's actually two types of salt in Jesus' day. There was an affluent salt, and then there was a common salt. And what I mean by this is by the Dead Sea, meaning that that salt would be, they would scoop out Dead Sea water, leave it out to evaporate, and then when it would evaporate, they would scrape out the salt remnant that was left behind. Now, bougie salt back then, there, was a, there were salt mines that existed in which you could purchase more purified, more had higher toxicity of salt. And so most people did not, could not afford the higher end salt. What they would do is they would get evaporative salt out of the Dead Sea and use that for everyday occurrences. Now, why is that important? For a lot of us, we don't even realize because we don't produce or do everything like they used to do back then. But salt as a household item was used for everything. Not only that, even in the temple in Leviticus, you can research, it says that salt was used on every sacrifice and every offering sprinkled upon it. Now, in the common home, what you see is it was used for sanitation, it was used for health, it was used for medical, it was used obviously in the temple I just said, but one that's a little bit overlooked is actually this type of uh, not as powerful salt was used as a fertilizer. 
You, we know that salt has, with high toxicity levels, if you sprinkle it on the ground, nothing will grow as it changes the, the uh, chemical composition of the soil. But this actual specific salt, because it was a little bit uh, more, not, not as powerful, could be spread upon the ground and actually protect against, against salt, extremely powerful. Now, how does salt lose its taste? How does it lose its effectiveness? Great question. One word, dilution. Being, dilution being that salt that is taken and diluted with something that, that zaps it of its power or that waters down its chemical composition to where it cannot produce what its intended use is for. What am I getting? Then combined with something that takes away the power it possesses that takes away the benefits that it offers. What was Jesus saying? Is he saying, hey, don't become salt that's tasteless. Don't combine Christ-like character, right, with things that are unchrist-like and dilute the power you're supposed to walk in. This is what Jesus is saying, which when you start to listen to it, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Do the things of God, I try to merge with the things of man and in turn dilute the power and the principles I'm supposed to live in. And then I wonder why I can't taste anything different of my life versus just what's out in the world. And then it's just pointless. See, for some of us, we're in this room and we're like, I'm not gonna lie, I've diluted myself a little bit with my decisions, habits, with my lifestyle, with the things that I use to cope, whatever that is. And the challenge today is God can restore that, but there has to be self-awareness that you need restoration. The second thing, though, is this. Today, if I were to ask you, you know, is your light out? We would immediately, American knowledge, go, okay, light. You know, is my light bulb burn the switch off? Do I need to turn it on? Like, if a light goes out, there's immediately, okay, if those things don't work, is a breaker tripped? But back then, here's the thing, that's not how light worked. And this is what Jesus is saying by saying maintain, be a light to all the world and maintain being a light is that, you know, really you could dim by covering it with something that it shouldn't be covered with to dim the effects of what that light could do. But here's the other thing that nobody talks about. Most light back then was not candles. It was about the, the wedding feast and the ones who run out of oil. It was very common back then to essentially you would have an oil, you would have a lamp that had an oil base that then ultimately had a wick and you would, as long as you tended the wick, why you would tend the wick is because as the flame burned through the wick and kept following the oil is it would leave the top of the wick and it would smoke it out. So the, 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 the light would almost be dirty in essence. Go out is essentially him saying, maintain your wick, be aware of your oil so that you can burn cleanly and brightly how you're intended to burn. Culturally, every, that makes sense to everybody. Today, it doesn't make sense. Like it's nothing. But back then, to say, maintain your oil. Be aware of your wick. Don't mix your salt with things that will take the effectancy and potency of what its intended purpose is for. Everybody's looking and saying, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. What are things that I've added to my life that actually take away from God's intended purposes? What are things right now I'm failing to maintain that are actually rendering me smoky and shrinking the flame of God in my life and in my heart? This is the starting place Jesus invites us into. The second thing is this. Good works are the measuring stick of how bright a light shines. 
those who carry out action that accomplishes something attractively good, inspiring, and beautiful, would the works of your faith be described in this way? Would the works of your faith be described in this particular point? If you notice, I said, those who carry out actions that accomplish something attractively good, inspiring, and beautiful, that's actually the root words of, of good works. See, good works in the Greek, good means kalos, which is attractively good, good that inspires or motivates others to embrace what is lovely. Now, work is the Greek word ergon, and it is a work or worker who accomplishes something. It is from an inner disposition. So what am I saying? If you, start, if you put good works together, it's about an action that accomplishes something attractively good, beautiful, and inspires people to wonder where it comes from. You know, attractively good works are not, is not me on a stage. It's not us on a Sunday morning gathering. I mean, yes, there's good works. See your good works and glorify the Father that's in heaven. What am I getting at right now? For some of us, we can list off work we're doing, but it's not good work. Attractively beautiful. Attractively pointing people in an inspiring way towards God. See, that's what salt and light is, is when our good works are like salt that tastes unique and light that gets our attention. What am I getting at for you this morning? I pray that we have the realization, expectation, and awareness that there's more for us. And that more is rooted in the reality that the good works we're producing should be pointing people to him, not to us. If your good works only point people to your ability, to your Christian professionalism, to how good you are as a person, to how holy you are, you've missed, we've missed it. We've missed it. Good works are, are we inspiring people to think, how did you do that only through God? I talked about it earlier, but the greatest testimonies are when somebody overcomes darkness and others see light in it. Have you all shines out of it now that will get others' attention to inspire them to good works as well? What am I trying to say to you this morning? I, I pray that we're not people who are infatuated with Western Christianity's metrics of what work is, but rather that we are works of righteousness his handiwork created in his in Christ Jesus image that would point to the glorious one who wants to accomplish glory in you so to actively beautiful pointing and inspiring people to follow him more the last point i have for you in closing is this how close you get to god will be no one else's choice but yours there is no gatekeeper of the spirit no select few who are allowed to read scripture the old covenant was selective and controlled. The new rules allow all the right to become a child of God. It will be your choice how faithful you want to be, how deep you want to go, how close you want to get. I talked about this at the very end, and like I said, this is my final point. I'm going to reference this. Matthew 5.20 gives a line that if we're in that present day, we would all look and say, okay, well, that's exactly what I'm feeling. And also... This is exactly why I don't want to try anymore. This is what it is. Matthew 5, 20, For I say that to you that unless you, your righteousness far surpasses that of scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
unless your righteousness far exceeds the spiritually elite people of your day, the most wise, the most studious, the most righteous people on the face of the planet, you won't have the kingdom of heaven. How many of you guys know, if I'm, a, if I'm somebody sitting here, I'm going, okay, well, thanks for that, but now I'm not even going to try. It's like, if I came up to you and was like, you know, if I came up to you and was like, hey, you know, I want you, if we all just measured ourselves against everybody else, hey, is your righteousness as good as mine? Is your righteousness as good? And I said this earlier, is your favorite podcaster, YouTube, celebrity pastor, real guy, or whatever you want to call it, is it, is it only do as we measure ourselves against others, not realizing that that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is where were you and who have you became? Not, not who are you trying to be, not what are you trying to emulate, not the brand image or messaging that everybody else tries to get you to become, but who were you and what has God done to transform you to who you are now? See, what am I getting at? I guarantee everybody when they hear this, they're going, okay, well, why even try? I'm never going to be as holy. I have not studied the Torah for 15 years. I do not have the understanding of, of being a rabbi in which people follow me and, and submit to my teachings. I'm sorry. Like, I guess I'm not going to be in the kingdom then. But this is what Jesus is getting at. Is there was something new that he was ushering in. And this new ushering was essentially, you're no longer going to to be me. And how you seek to be me is not by you trying to be someone, but rather my spirit filling your heart and your life and directing you to become like I. Think about it like this. Pharisees and scribes, they studied outwardly, educated outwardly, tons of time outwardly to hopefully get it inwardly to then talk about again outwardly. But this is the new covenant. My spirit will fill you. My words written on your heart. And as you live out what is going on internally and train yourself with the things, the gifts I've given you, community and scripture, as you start to train that spirit, scripture, community, component, disciplines, rhythms, what you'll find is there's an overflow that falls out of you in which it is a light that people have not seen and it is a salt that people have not tasted. See, what am I getting at for you to understand this morning is this is the whole point of Jesus is this particular passage is unless you're then the, then the spiritually elite, the spirit, what's better than being a Pharisee Following Jesus. What, what am I getting at today? If I took you all outside, I'll, I'll kind of close with this analogy. If I took you all outside and we had a 100-meter dash lined up, and I looked at everybody in here and I said, all right, guys, $1 million if you beat this person you're going to race against. All of us would be like, you know, let's stretch. <laughs> but then, I, then the person walked out and all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's the world record 100-meter dash holder. How many of us would be a little deflated? How many of us would still try to run? Hopefully all of us. Why? Because there's a belief, man, if I could beat them, I could get this. Now, if all of us are failing, 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 nobody's beating this guy. What would happen? We'd all probably get pretty. But what if I came out to you and I said, all right, same game, new rule. I got a motorcycle for you, though. 
See, that person's going to run and do everything in their own strength, and they're the fastest and best on the face of the planet, but I'm going to give you an ability that's better than anything they could ever run. I'm going to give you a gift that's better than anything they could ever achieve on their own. In their own strength, in their own trying, in their own striving, I'm going to give you something that will accelerate you past any man-made or manufactured way of reasoning, thinking, or functioning. You just have to hop on, learn how to ride it, and then take that race and win. Many of us would be like, okay, that's great. Change the rules. See, that's what Jesus is proposing. Is every way the Pharisees, scribes, and traditional Judaism had raised people to function on this race of life, God essentially says, okay, we need to give something new because it's failing. It's failing. Nobody's winning. Nobody's getting closer to me. And actually, if you actually research when Jesus is saying this, people couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. They, this is the thing about it is people were like, yeah, obviously I'm never going to surpass that. So what does Jesus do? Offer himself and say, okay, you may not think you can, but I'm going to give you a new covenant that will tell you you can. It's about you believing, implementing, and following me in a way that realizes and sees my goodness, knows my proximity, and becomes the personhood of who I am. I tell you that God has written his law on your heart. That he has promised, even I, and I, I'm not going to read them, but Jeremiah 31, 33, Ezekiel 36, 27. I've written my law in your heart. I've filled your spirit with my spirit. See, this is the new covenant in which no Pharisee or scribe can ever beat you because if they don't walk in the spirit and you do, you've won. Because God purchased the greatest gift, which was ability to be with all of us simultaneously, not just in one temple speaking to one man, but rather a relationship with all men in which we all could encounter him. So as Jesus is starting out the Sermon on the Mount, what he's really saying is, guys, you've been playing an old game. Why don't I give you some new rules? And the new rules are my Holy Spirit and my words on your heart. And from that place, you might find that there's a light that shines brighter, a salt that tastes more powerful, and good works that are attractive, unique, and beautiful, and inspire people to me. Would you stand to your feet this morning? You know, we like to practice a posture of solitude and silence as we've been leaning about that or so. You know, be still and know that I'm God, it says in Scripture. It says that he makes us lie down in green pastures and restores our soul. So I pray that as we posture ourselves to process this morning, it would be through the lens of God. Where am I at currently? Is there a light that you're challenging me around or challenging me to run towards? Is there a salt of my personhood that I'm not proud of? Are my good works measures not attractive? They're not beautiful. They're not inspiring. Or some of us in this room, all we've ever felt is the comparison 
of what mature believers do and the fact that we just can't measure up. I pray this morning a new revelation. And that revelation is this. His spirit is being hard. Now it becomes how hard will you run towards that light? How much power will you give the light to transform your darkness? And ultimately, if you believe that that light and that salt of your personhood that others taste would inspire people to look to him through the beauty of what you've became. So with that, let's take a minute or two and just be present.